It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Hi there, and welcome back. I'm Seth Abramovich, senior writer at The Hollywood Reporter. And I'm Chip Pope. Or is it my doppelganger from Us? (laughs) Us. Did you like it? I really enjoyed it, although ultimately I'm not sure what it was trying to say. Yeah, you know, it seems like a lot of people have different theories about what he was doing in that movie. And do you like walking out of a movie knowing exactly what it was about, or do you like that sort of open-ended dream world symbolism of of that movie i mean this is gonna sound like waffling but i enjoy both of those types of movies i i I really appreciate a movie a b c d the end but i also love a movie that's just like a z a z z (laughs) q maybe back to a and and then then, backwards and and then a bunch of people doing hands across america in the ocean (laughs) i mean i what (laughs) I love those open-ended movies, and this week we're going to be focusing on one of my favorites of all time. And that's what's up on It It Happened Happened in Hollywood. So, Chip, one of the things I love about this podcast is that we get to revisit some of our favorite movies and TV shows of all time. And sometimes a movie just hits you at exactly the right time in your life, right place, and it just sticks with you forever. And that's what this movie did, Mulholland Drive. It came out in the fall of 2001. I had moved to L.A. in June 2001, and I was having the worst go of it. I lost my job. I couldn't find more work. I was meeting the weirdest, creepiest people. (laughs) And it was all in the glare of this burning sunlight. And I just thought, wow, this place is kind of evil. And I went to see this movie, and it kind of just reflected back what I was feeling about L.A. at the time. Our guest this week is one of two women who star in it. Her name is Laura Haring. The other was Naomi Watts in her first major movie role that sort of launched her career, I'd say. And... It was directed by David Lynch. Now, what what are your feelings about David Lynch? Love David Lynch. He's a master. He's a genius. He's an artist. He's one of the few people that really uh, worked through the Hollywood system and was just able to do their own singular vision. And what a vision. What an iconoclast. I mean, his TV shows and movies are just completely... First of all, insane. I mean, right. com- totally off the wall, but have, a, I guess, an internal grammar that totally makes sense. Right. I mean, I yeah, I, th- I like to think of it as he makes the commonplace things in life seem bizarre and the bizarre things seem commonplace. I once had the uh, 
the, the uh, privilege of meeting him and interviewing him about transcendental meditation, which is his lifelong practice. He meditates twice a day. He credits it with everything, his creativity, his happiness, his open-mindedness. And I even took a TM seminar as part of research for this article. Oh, wow. So... And I actually had a practice for a little while, but I actually gave it up. But um, it was amazing to meet him and to be up close to him. He does vibrate on a different frequency, I think, from most mortal men. Right. But he is so present, a word that's sort of been said so many times that it's lost all meaning, but... He was the most present person I've ever spoken to, and it was really exciting. I'll never forget it. So having Laura come was such a treat because here we had someone who worked so closely with him who was really willing to share some of his tricks of the trade and bring us back to that otherworldly, amazing set of one of my favorite movies. So why don't we get right into it? Laura had been Miss USA, and she came to... LA when the Miss USA organization kind of relocated here. She started getting her feet wet in acting when she was here and really caught the bug. There was no Trump at this point, we should point out, though. Yeah, it wasn't because people probably might have thought that when you heard Miss USA, but. And actually, way before President Trump was even anything in our consciousness, she avoided an opportunity to take a photo with him. (laughs) So. Her instincts were well-attuned, I think. But here's her describing pursuing acting even when Hollywood was not opening its doors to her and the twist of fate that would forever change her life. I was doing theater in the downtown arts district, and we were making our own theater, not getting paid, just very gritty, artsy, beautiful. Comedia dell'arte I learned to, to perform there. And I just loved the actor so much. I loved going there, and my my passion, it was like I became a real artist, gritty and, you know, doing all these very dark characters, but that were funny. It was dark comedy. And, um, you know, somebody called me, the casting director called me. I didn't even have an agent and said, David Lynch wants to meet you right now. And I said, right now? He goes, right now. Whoa. And I said, well, I'm in warm ups. And I can't meet him right now. I said, I'll, I'll, I'll come by tomorrow. And then I had a car accident <laughs> right then and there. I was so excited. And um, did you wait, forget? Don't everything? gloss over that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I had a car accident. How did, how I did actually, that? Were, um, you were driving. I was so excited that David Lynch wanted to meet me, and it was so kind of bizarro that he wanted to meet me right now. <laughs> I was in a warm up, and I was just kind of like David Lynch, and, and I rear-ended the guy in front of me. So we pulled over, and I said, "Please, you know, this it's a very important day for me. I have to go get ready. I have something very huge tomorrow." He said, "No problem. Nothing happened." And um, the next day, I went to his offices, and his executive assistant said, have you read the script? I said, no. And she said, your, your character has a car accident in the very first scene. And I said, Gail, I, I just had a car accident yesterday when, he, when I was told that I was coming to see David. And I got goosebumps. I said, wow, maybe this is a little sign. I don't know. That just sounds like fate to me, because not only is it crazy that she's in a car accident, there's a car accident in that movie. There's a big car accident in Wild at Heart. It's like car accidents seem to be a theme in David Lynch's work. 
So if someone walks in to your office, I just had a car accident. He's probably like, that's great. Sign her up. (laughs) What's even more astounding about this story is that he chose her by simply looking at her headshot. That's all he saw. And he just said, that's the girl, which is, of course, something you hear many times in this movie. Right. Is a director being handed a woman's headshot and being told, that's the girl. So I had done a movie with the casting director, Joanna Ray, beautiful lady, and her son was helping her cast this movie. And uh, she remembered me. I, I did the movie with her son. She remembered me and she showed David my photo. And David said, bring her in. And that's, I was the only actor he saw for the, for the role. So having seen her photo and deciding that this was the girl, Lynch had the script sent to her for her to read. And at this point, it was for a pilot for an ABC series. The same network that had done Twin Peaks. That's right. To great success. Yeah, he had... had, uh, Surprise success. Surprise success at ABC with that, and I guess they were trying to replicate that with another Lynch series. But of course, it being Lynch, you know, it didn't feel like a TV show. It had that cinematic Lynch dreamlike nature to it. You know, the whole thing was just like the movie. Very haunting and strange. I read it. My body reacted like I, I knew it was a masterpiece. I started crying just so grateful and so I didn't have it yet but just feeling the story and feeling the emotion behind the words and everything so perfect meticulous you know everything so amazing that I just put the script on my chest and after I read it I said wow like I couldn't believe it and weeks went by I didn't hear anything and Joanna called me and she said David's very worried did you not like the script why haven't you called? <laughs> I thought you guys were supposed to call me. It's the way it works. And um, I just thought that was kind of funny and cute. And, yeah, and don't call us. We'll call you. Yeah, yeah. But Lynch is, please call me. <laughs> call me if you like it. <laughs> I'm like, ah, I will call you. How, how wonderful is that? Can I just say how meta this is? Yeah. Why don't we explain the plot? Because it is very meta what's going on. It's hard to just explain the plot. But can I just say... One of the main elements of this movie is people coming to town to make their dreams come true. And this is what's happening to Laura Elena Herring, how she has just been plucked out of obscurity with a picture to be in this TV pilot. And she's reading it. And basically what she's reading is her own story. It's very bizarre. Now, keep in mind, he has yet to hear her say a stitch of dialogue. All he's seen is the picture. She has a hard time believing this is really happening, but she goes in for her meeting with him and she thinks she's going to be reading a scene. But that's not how Lynch auditions his actresses. When I went into the room, Joanna Ray said, be very simple, dress very classically and very simple. So I wore a white shirt, black pants and a black kind of long jacket. And um, she said, don't wear any makeup. So I went clean faced and... She came into the room with me. He had his chair, you know, like way back. And all he said was, good, 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 <laughs> good. <laughs> Were you saying good. lines or he was just no. looking at no, you? No, he was just looking at me. He, in his mind, the way that he functions, that's how I heard that he, he works, is he starts, he's either seeing you in the movie 
or he's not. It's very definite. And so I think in his mind, he was seeing me in the movie and we just started talking and he played me the beautiful piece by Angelo at the beginning of the movie. The music is so melancholic, I was looking out and he saw me looking in the limo, looking out. But I was looking out, there was a wall, there was nothing, but I didn't want to stare at him <laughs> or Joanna. So I was just processing the beautiful piece of music and he saw me in the limo looking out the window. So he plays her the music from Angelo Badlamente, who is the guy who scores the David Lynch movies. And the first shot of her in the movie is just a big close-up of her face. So this makes sense. He's hiring her basically off of her face because she will soon be playing a character who is a blank and doesn't know who she is, doesn't know what's going on in her own mind. So in a way, it's kind of the perfect audition. I guess you don't really need to see that much to know, well, this is going to be a person who is an empty vessel and I can just focus on their face. But still, like, how did he know that she wasn't going to be a terrible actress? Like, she had to do some real emoting in this thing. There's a scene right. towards the end when they're in a theater together, just sobbing together. and That's true. So maybe she worked up to that? Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that was after the thing was a TV pilot and then turned into the movie. You know, they add all the sobbing and everything in the last 20 minutes. Oh, it was CGI? Reshoots of the movie. Yeah, it was uh, CGI. Michael Bay directed that part. So Laura was always his only choice to play the character known as Rita, who has amnesia and sees a photo of Rita Hayworth on the wall in this old Hollywood bungalow that she wanders into randomly that Naomi Watts' character, Betty, is occupying. Right. And the Naomi Watts character, there was two actresses up for it. But after a screen test for ABC, they decided to go with the combination of Naomi and Laura. And he had also called in Naomi based on her picture, by the way. That's right. And Naomi, he noted in their screen test, was the name of his nanny when he was a child, which may have also altered the fate of Naomi Watts' life. The truth is that they had great chemistry. Right. They had great chemistry, but also a lot of instinct. And whenever we get an actor in here, we're always just totally pestering them for secrets about how the director works. And Laura was willing to reveal a few of those for us. So that was pretty exciting. He directs so much with his energy, his hands and his voice. And he puts you kind of in his world with similes and metaphors. Very easy to follow what he's looking for. So it's, it's very um, kind of picturesque. Do you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. for that last part where I'm going, that's the secret garden. He said, up the secret garden. He said, um, walk like a kitty cat, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> In the born, walk like a kitty cat, Laura. <laughs> and my whole posture changed. All of a sudden I elongated my, you know what I mean? And I had that aloof look and then. All <laughs> I love it. This is when you're walking up yeah. the, right, the, the secret the party. garden. Yes. Oh. Isn't that awesome? Probably never gotten that direction from <laughs> never, anybody else. <laughs> never. <laughs> so sweet. And and then, you know, when in that first part where I'm kind of very troubled, he said, there's always a 
black cloud, a very dark gray cloud following you wherever you go. And so that's how I became so scared. Right, because how do you prepare for a role where you know nothing and no one knows you? You know, for somebody, she has no friends from the past that come, you know, it, it doesn't go in a conventional way, obviously, because it's David Lynch, but right, how, right. Do you, how do you prepare for that? Yeah, how, how yes. do you do um, someone who loses all of their memory? You try to put your mind in blank, which is a very difficult thing to do, but it's doable. I mean, if I count to three and I say, just focus on the sounds in the room, one, two, three, your mind goes blank. But you just always hear that clock. <laughs> yeah. I, I hear our producer breathing heavily. Exactly. You have to sustain it with like 20, you know, 30, 40 crew members around. Well, we could just say that I think he wants the audience's mind to be a blank too. Right. And then you're his blank. canvas. Yeah, exactly. To, to manipulate. And he's a master manipulator. In some ways, he's, you know, you could say he's like a great horror director and that he knows how to build tension and dread and how to sort of use pacing to, to get the emotions he wants out of the audience. Right. And there's loads of that kind of stuff throughout Mulholland Drive. I mean, in the most sort of basic way to put it is he taps into the rhythm of dreaming. Mm -hmm. That's how I feel when I watch one of his movies. Right, when you're asleep, when you're at your most vulnerable. It's all so dreamlike to me. My yeah. dreams are exactly like his movies. Yes. But it's just fear. I, I don't know. It's just turning everyday things. Uh, there's a lot in Mulholland Drive just turning everyday things into fear. Just someone entering a room. Mm. You know, it's just the, what's in the, the room. dumpster how behind they... a diner. Yeah. <laughs> he knows, behind he the really wall. knows how to set it up so that the audience starts feeling something. He can really manipulate our feelings through the crystal sounds and the, um, the camera moves that are so slow. So slow. I mean, I saw them putting rocks one day on um, the dolly so that the cameraman couldn't push it very fast. Hmm. That's crazy. That's a crazy <laughs> technique, too. But it, it works. works. It, does. Yeah. it works. There's a couple of really weird scenes in this movie a couple <laughs> uh, if you just had to pick one <laughs> well if you did what would be your favorite <laughs> it's oh god you know it's hard to pinpoint them all but i like the uh casting meeting where angelo badlamente spits up an espresso into a napkin as if you were coughing up blood <laughs> which is another great way that Lynch always just takes something. You always wonder what his take is going to be like on just everyday scenes. So it's just a meeting. And then the meeting comes up, comes into just spitting out espresso into a napkin or like catching your wife cheating turns into dipping her jewelry into paint. <laughs> you know, it's just. And it, she's cheating with Billy Ray, Billy Cyrus. Ray Cyrus. I mean, yeah. So, <laughs> still wondering I mean, how he squeezed his way into this movie. So, so many crazy scenes. What, what's your favorite? My favorite has to be the cowboy scene. It's just so creepy. It's a scene where the director, played by Justin Theroux, Justin Theroux, you mean? Theroux. O U X. Oh, okay. Theroux. We had a whole conversation about this that we'll get to later. Theroux versus Theroux. But in America, Canadian boy, we say Theroux. Well, I'm from Quebec, where we say Theroux. But anyway, this sequence is amazing. And um, he goes up and meets this cowboy under a flickering light. And this zombie-like guy comes out and 
kind of just in a very steady voice gives him instructions about casting this woman that he doesn't want to cast and he kind of <laughs> right. like makes a veiled threat on his life if he doesn't and the whole thing really creeped me out the first time I saw it and still did again when I did the rewatch recently. Yeah, why just do a common kind of scene of exposition where you could make a guy go up to the top of the road to talk to a cowboy about who's going to be in the movie. But why would a cowboy have any say over who's in the movie anyway? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. The cowboy is awesome. You know he was a producer, right? Well, I looked him up last night and <laughs> he only has producing credits. He he was a producer at a very popular production company at the time. Do you remember which one it was? No, but it overlapped with some of David's projects, I think. I, I recognized a few names, but he yeah. had no other acting credits. No. They had poster boards <laughs> to read the lines. Oh, my gosh. He was a producer that, you know, David thought was perfect for the role, and I think he killed it. Yeah. Was he, he not did. awesome? He did. Yeah. I remember him scaring me the first time I saw it. There was just something so surreal about his delivery. So, so stone-faced. Stone-faced. Was he like that in person? Well, I didn't get to talk to him so much. I wasn't in that scene, but I do remember that David was so happy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So, so happy. Did he ever explain to you what the cowboy is supposed to represent? You know, David didn't explain anything to us. He basically said, I want everyone to interpret however they want. So I saw the movie six times when we were promoting it and everything, and I always thought it, it was about something different. And that's what I think is really cool about the movie. It's like reading a book. Your mind makes up and fills in the blanks and imagines it. So what I imagine is different than what you imagine than what you imagine. And I think movies don't have that too often. They're so pat. They tell you everything. Mm -hmm, Over-explain. Right. And this one doesn't. So Monty Montgomery, who is also in Wild at Heart, plays the cowboy. Yeah, and he produced movies like Wild at Heart and Mulholland Drive. Oh, well, there you go. Wait, <laughs> what a he was a producer. Yeah. How did he get cast? David Lynch looked at his picture and said, I want him to produce my movie. <laughs> it's all David Lynch does. He sits in rooms all day and looks at pictures. So, Seth, what does the cowboy mean to you then? You know, if, the, if every, everything is open-ended and no one tells you what you're supposed to think. Well, the answer lies in what the cowboy says. If you remember, he says, You were recasting the lead actress anyway. Audition many girls for the part. When you see the girl that was shown to you earlier today, you will say, this is the girl. The rest of the cast can stay. That's up to you. But that lead girl is not up to you. Now you will see me one more time if you do good. You'll see me two more times if you do bad. He does what he asks, sees him again once. Doesn't do what he asks, he sees him twice. The cowboy represents death. Whoa. The internet is ablaze with theories about the cowboy. There's like a hundred Google search answers to what the cowboy means. So. That's amazing. Yes. People have a lot of time on their hands. So that's a lot of the fun with David Lynch is that you don't know what it is. It's kind of like when you uh, watch uh, Twin Peaks. You're just like, who's that? What's that? What's this mean? What's going on? What are we doing here? And that's what Mulholland Drive is supposed to be at this point. 
Yeah, that's right. It was still supposed to be a TV series that ABC saw spanning seasons, not just one two-hour and 20-minute movie. Right, and so they've made this pilot. And then they got a look at it, and I don't think they liked it too much. So when I was told about the project, they said the the whole thing will be, you know, like Twin Peaks, who killed Laura Palmer? Mulholland Drive is going to be, what's your character? Mm-hmm. Who is his character? And that's how it will unravel through a couple seasons. And so what happened is we filmed it, and when we finished, David said, he called us, and he said, Mulholland Drive is dead in the water. I said, <laughs> what? He goes, yeah. ABC is going to play it at two in the morning. Nobody's ever going to see it. It's going to be shelved somewhere. But meanwhile, I just said, David, I don't feel that. I really don't feel that it's the end. And for me, it was, I'm, I've been very intuitive my whole life, but there's also like everywhere I looked, there were David Lynch characters, like actors everywhere. And I thought, I just don't feel that this is dead. And I kept telling David and Naomi, it's not, it's not. I just know that it's not. And then, I don't remember how many months later, but a few months, I guess Alain Sard and um, Pierre Edelman decided to put out another, I forgot how much, but in the millions, maybe one or two, to make you know it into a movie. And so he calls Naomi and I, and we go and see him, and he sits in the middle, and he said, Mulholland Drive... It's going to be an international feature film. <laughs> right. He goes, but there's going to be nudity, Laura. He gives me his hand to shake it. <laughs> so I shake his hand. Wait. And I'm like, what? what? Shake what, on the what nudity. What did I just, like, yeah. <laughs> and so, but he kept his word. I said, I don't want, you know, full nudity. And so he blurted out, you know, the bikini area. And um, he, he did that without a contract. He, did, he was just very honorable. So yeah. when you filmed it for ABC, obviously there was probably no lesbian right. love scene. Yeah, I wasn't supposed to tell you that that was added. My bad. It's been so many years. I forgot what I you know, could say and couldn't, but I'm sorry about that. But yeah, that was added. Because obviously it couldn't be on a, on a network, network television. Show. Yeah. So she brought up the famous same-sex love scene in the film, mm-hmm. which is very steamy. And she wasn't supposed to spill the beans, but... Of course, it was not in the ABC version. So how did it become part of the movie? The pilot didn't go at ABC, so he added 20 extra minutes of script, which is basically the end of the movie. And the lesbian love scene was a part of the new pages. But she wasn't thrilled about having to do this scene. They had developed a very sisterly relationship over the shooting of the film, and now suddenly they were naked in bed together, trying to be steamy while... 40 crew members were standing around them, and Lynch was... Not on the bullhorn, at least. That's true. Sensitively giving his direction. But we'll let Laura tell it. I'm not going to lie. I felt very vulnerable. I was in my dressing room, and I was on the verge of tears. I came to the set. I was kind of like... <laughs> just like... It's hard. There's a lot of people there, you know, and it's very bright. And he said, Laura, look at this. And he gave me the forget what they call it, but... The loop. The loop, yeah. He said, you see how dark that is? That's how dark it's going to be. And it looked like, if you're looking through this mic, I mean, pretty dark. It's a very dark scene. It was just looked like a silhouette. And so I calmed down a little bit, you know, and um, and then in the last take, he goes, Pete, pump it up. <laughs> <laughs> so 
Or he made it lighter. Oh, no. He made it lighter. But it's fine. I mean, you know, it's still kind of silhouette And then during the love scene, Naomi and I were so stiff. You know, we were we were friends. And so, you know, it was very awkward. And we kept doing it, you know. And then finally, David said, he came. He didn't use a bullhorn. He goes, now don't be afraid to touch each other's breasts now. <laughs> With a bullhorn. <laughs> don't be afraid to touch each other's breasts now. Then that was the last take, and that's the one he used. Have you ever done this before? I don't know. Have you? So it's really remarkable for her as a novice actor to get all of these emotions out in these scenes that she has to play. Yeah, this is her first role, and she's being exposed literally and uh, emotionally. And another one of the, uh, the scenes where she's very vulnerable and also physically linked to Naomi Watts's character was in the Silencio scene when they go to that weird nightclub in the middle of the night. Right, because uh, Laura's character wakes up in the middle of the night after the love scene and starts saying bits of dialogue that you hear in a little bit down at Club Silencio. And then she and says, kinda, we, we have to go. Yeah. And then she says, right point. now? And the next thing you know, they're in a car and they're going to this club. And I love that Naomi Watts' character is questioning something in this movie. <laughs> Just the fact that anyone would question anything that's going on in this movie. Wait, what? <laughs> like, that's the craziest <laughs> thing in the movie? We've got to go to a nightclub right now? <laughs> yeah, it's like, and like the, the cowboy scene, I think there's a lot of interpretations out there as what Silencio means. So we pinned Laura and, and, and wanted to get her interpretation on what that nightclub scene is. And she had a really interesting take on it. Silencio to me, again, silencing the mind. Mm. That's what I think. I think because it's like a lot of the Zen Buddhism, they say, the art of archery, for example, you see without seeing, you hear without hearing. Well, it sounds strange, but that's to me saying to use our inner faculties, our intuition, and to let something greater than us, that intelligence, work through us to create perfection. Because the universe is perfect. I mean, everything in the galaxies couldn't work if there's not something, some energy that's just orchestrating this beautiful masterpiece, the universe. And I think no hay banda. And yet you hear a band. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I don't know, because I never really asked him. And it was years later that I thought, is he referring to the mind? I think a lot of the movie is referring to the mind. But that's my personal opinion. And your performance, you had to blank out your mind to play the part. Right. And in Club Silencio, he was telling me to cry. There's this deep sorrow. Remember, we're both crying. Yeah, you're holding right. each other. And So what were you thinking about when you were crying? Wow. 20 years later, <laughs> I forgot. But you know what? As a human, I think we all have, you know, even nobody goes through childhood unscathed. So I was bullied, a lot of racist remarks because I'm Latin. So I can always, I don't have an issue crying. For the actors that can't cry, I always tell them if nothing else works, like if you can't tap into your childhood, just tell your body to cry. You know, if you... Research shows that if you hunch over and you kind of look down, your, your brain starts thinking that 
there's something sad. So we, so you can also do the opposite, you know, and when you want more of the confidence chemicals, you know, hormones, mm -hmm. you stand really straight and you come across as more confident because your body is actually releasing those hormones. So in acting, it's very physical, very physical. And I was hunched over and I was leaning into her and... The song also is kind right. of sad, right? Is she singing that live while you're, or, or to the track? Yes. Or, well, it was a cappella. A cappella. It was gorgeous. No, she's amazing. Oh, yeah. She's amazing, Rebecca Del Rio. Her voice is so crystal. And she sings Desi Arnaz like nobody's business. She's amazing. She's a real artist. Dime tu que puedo hacer. No me How did he find her? I mean, that whole scene is just, again, another L.A. dream. Just right. Like, he flowed into this club. You get told there's no band. <laughs> you Right. You wake up, but there is a band. And yet you hear but that. But before that even, you've woken up after a love scene, and you're just babbling about Silencio <laughs> and <laughs> Doha Banta. I mean, oh, gosh, that's so funny. Was it shot late at night? It was a night. We had a few all-nighters, five in the morning and stuff. The, the garden scene, that party, that was, we shot that like three or four in the morning. Mm. And in L.A., it gets very cold. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And when we shot the car accident, I remember it was three or four in the morning. It was like 50 degrees or 45. It was very, very cold. David had a full ski suit on, <laughs> full jumpsuit, a onesie. <laughs> and then, you know, they didn't want to put that dirt on me. They said, well, just roll on the floor, you know. It was freezing, and I was just woken up because I was sleeping in the dresser. And, and David goes, see, I'll do it. And he goes and he rolls on the, on the ground to get himself dirty. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you have a jumpsuit on. <laughs> so I rolled on the floor. And it helped. It made me feel really wrecked up. <laughs> Did you shoot that early in the production? or? Yes. In the first week, if I remember correctly. Yeah. The shooting schedule was perfect for me because I shot Monday through Thursday. And I, I had Fridays off because I would get a B12 shot. Because okay. I was shot in the head when I was 12 years old. What? With a 45. Yeah. What? Mm -hmm. Right, right. And a drive-by. And a drive-by. Yeah, it's crazy. In Texas. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> This big, a bullet this huge Dang. grazed me here. It didn't go into your brain. Oh, so But the I, head's very scandalous. Right. It, was, it was like a fountain. I could hear it in my head, like blah, 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 blah. blah. Oh, my God. Mother was pressing a sweater down, and it was, yeah. Like a Gosh. gang member or something? It was some sort of drug deal, and we were, it was an abandoned, it was like a dark uh, parking lot. We were looking for the movies. I was with my entire family, and it felt like a slingshot. It really felt like a rock hit me. And right. then my stepdad said, get down their shots. And my mother puts a sweater on me and she's pushing down because he's telling her to push hard. And all I can hear is, first of all, the body has an alarm. So it's like a building alarm it went off in my head. Loud alarm. And then I could hear the gluk, 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 the blood gushing into the sweater. And so... I'm very equipped to do kind of traumatic movies. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. 
I can do all that range, you know, because, yeah, this was a very difficult kind of... It's very, wow. it's very intense when you're so close to death because everything slows down, almost like a dream, really. Dreamy and slow. And then all you hear is you're thinking really loud. All the other sounds are in the background. And I remember thinking, well, I haven't done anything with my life yet. At 12 years old, I was in disbelief that this was it. And so I've always been extremely grateful for everything. Just extra innings. Extra, extra, extra grateful. So I always remember that when I'm focusing on the wrong thing, you just need to refocus the mind and remember that it's all a gift. Whoa. Every breath. We might not wake up tomorrow. So it took us a while, but we got to the reason why it's easy for her to access her emotions <laughs> in a movie. We yeah. got to why she can cry on cue. Right, yeah. Pretty traumatic story. I was a little traumatized by that story. Yeah. Sorry if it was too disturbing. But, you know, sometimes we have to go to dark places here on It Happened in Hollywood. You know, she turned it into something positive, And that's what uh, strong people do. Yeah. She went on to become Miss USA then the star of this movie, and she couldn't have been more lovely. Why don't we lighten things up a bit? Yes, that's um, a good idea. And talk about some of the other stars of the movie who went on to big things. And I'm thinking of one in particular, Justin Theroux. But of course we know that he went on to become, you know, a major actor, screenwriter. Didn't he co-write one of the Zoolander movies? He, yeah, he co-wrote Tropic Thunder, I believe. But at the time, he was uh, he had had just a few movies under his belt, and he made quite an impression. And uh, I was curious what Laura thought of him when she first met Justin. He was such a nice person. He is. I mean, I haven't seen him in ages. I saw him in the Cannes Film Festival one time. I was dancing on the table at a, <laughs> at a party, and he came up and said, <laughs> so great to see him, like, you feel like his family, you know, we went through something together, but quiet, very intellectual, such an artist, and just a really solid guy. Was he riding back then? Did he seem just like the cool dude on a motorcycle or whatever that he is now? Or was he? He didn't seem like the bad boy that he kind of appears to be now. He just was real intellectual, artist, quiet mysterious, really a pleasure to work with, real sweet, real grounded and solid. And I love working with people like that. Did Lynch see him as maybe a protege or something like that? I have the suspicion that, you know, his hair was kind of similar and whatever, that maybe David never told me this, but I just kind of feel like he was commenting on his own casting process and, you know, the big agency, CAA, you know, they they control 75% of the movies. Mm. So that maybe they were, you know, I heard that they kind of push their people, people that they represent, and rightly so, they represent them. So they're very powerful and that they, you know, that maybe the industry tries to tell the artist who to put in their movies. You hear this all the time, a great script, but the director can't put the the actors that, he wants in them because people feel they can't distribute them or they can't sell them or I, I don't know. I've never been a producer. I've always wanted to, but it's, you know, it's pretty complicated. I mm -hmm. think it's a miracle to get any movie made. 
I like that theory that that uh, Justin is the the surrogate for Lynch in this. Right, right. I mean, I guess it's kind of obvious since he's playing a director, but right, and it hadn't really occurred to me until that moment. In the movie, the character, it's just like a lot of things that are bad happens to him. So maybe that's what the artist type director is thinking how he's abused within the system. Because you think of it, everything that happens to Justin Thoreau is some kind of, you know, he can't cast the person he wants. He goes home. His wife is cheating on him with Billy Ray Cyrus. He, yeah. It's like a comedy he, of errors, which is probably what directing a movie is like. Right. Now, it turns out another one of my favorite scenes in the movie was one of Laura's favorite scenes. We asked her to, to say a scene that she wasn't in that she loved. I really enjoyed the audition scene that yes. Naomi did. That was <laughs> that was pretty epic. It was beautiful. And I love that one. Yeah, because until that scene, she's just that perky. Like, you're not sure if she's a good actress or not. Right. And then she becomes a sexy diva. <laughs> like in real life or in the movie, you're just she's like this weird perky girl. And then suddenly it's like, where did this come from? <laughs> it seems like everyone right. in the room was genuinely surprised, not just... Yeah. Acting surprise. Right, right, right. She worked really hard on that. She was always rehearsing that. You're still here. I came back. Thought that's what you wanted. Nobody wants you here. Really? My parents are right upstairs. They think you've left. <laughs> so surprise. I can call them. <laughs> I can call my dad. But you won't. You're playing a dangerous game here. If you're trying to blackmail me, it's not gonna work. So what a crazy journey for this movie so far that started out as a failed TV pilot and then they add 20 minutes to it. A it's hot sex scene. Of hot sex. And then it's going to con and who knows what people are gonna think of it. Is it just going to be a mess? Because the last David Lynch movie before this movie, Lost Highway, was regarded as a bit of a mess, that he was a little bit out of control. So who knows what even the French are going to think about this as they sit down in the Grand Palais to watch the premiere of Mulholland Drive. There was a hush after the movie finished. Naomi looked at me, and then I looked way down, and David's looking, and we're all like... <sighs> People stood up and started cheering really loud. And it was then we were all looking at each other like, but he he had prepared us and he had said, even if they don't applaud, if they boo you, you stand straight with your chin up because nobody can judge anybody else's art. So after that moment, none of their lives were ever going to be the same. You know, Lynch was back on top as one of the biggest auteurs in the world. And both of the actresses were obviously, you know, very glamorous and now major stars on the international stage. But Laura was getting more attention than Naomi was. She had always taken a sisterly role, a big sisterly role to, to Naomi. But it was interesting to hear her describe sort of how the spotlight works at a big event like that and what she advised Naomi. And, well, let's hear her tell it. I remember that... When we were on the stage, it was Naomi, David, Justin, and I. And the press, when we started, were calling out for David. But at that press call, they were calling out my name. 
And so I was turning, and there was so many photographers, and oh, I was yeah. turning, and I had something sexy. I'd worked out for two, three weeks. You know, I was <laughs> feeling really good. And when we left the stage for the photo call, the press started clapping and yelling my name. And the president said they would like you back on the stage. And I was like, wow. And so I came back, and I, you know, I'm a dancer, and I've performed theater before, so... I was Miss USA. I had a lot of confidence. And so I just, you know, did something very <laughs> movie starish and did a twirl, sent them a kiss and left. And there was a roar of explosion. of. And then, I, you know, in the um, Nice Matan, they said that there hadn't been that kind of reaction since Marilyn Monroe appeared at the festival. And I just got so much love that the president was saying, where have you been all these years and stuff like that. And so when we sat to dinner one of the nights, I noticed that, you know, I always brought her into the photos and with Naomi. And I said, Naomi, because I understand how life works. I said, Naomi, the sun will shine on your shoulders. The tables always turn. And I hugged her and I kissed her and came back here and the tables turned. Right. So by that, she means, you know, Naomi went on to this huge movie career. And uh, she's realistic and says, you know, she's continued to be an actress and she's been on TV and, and had work. But, you know, she, she knows that their stars moved in different directions. And I, I think, you know, the way she explained it was she felt comfortable the way things were. She, she was very at peace with everything. Yeah, yeah. Which is inspirational because, you know, no, no one in that movie really is. So, you know, it's inspirational <laughs> that the happy ending of Mulholland Drive is her and her attitude and just uh, her way of looking at the world. Not that she didn't have a little fun. The cherry on the whole Mulholland Drive Sunday was that the film was nominated for Best Director at the Academy Awards. It was the one and only time that Laura attended the Academy Awards and she was going to make it count. I wore the million dollar shoes. <laughs> yeah, what's up with that? Million dollar sandals. <laughs> <laughs> Who designed they had, those? They had, um, yeah, they had these beautiful, I don't know how many carats, I forgot, but on each foot. And I wore the sparkling diamond that was like the, a flawless Archduke Joseph. Like 67 carats worth so many million dollars. And um, I had a bodyguard. It was a very oh, strange experience, the whole thing. Where did you get all this expensive oh, stuff? Oh, my daddy. No, just kidding. <laughs> Chip. <laughs> no. Um, so there was the stylist, and he, um, Stuart Weitzman, had to oh. choose somebody to put. And so the stylist suggested me, and he came to fit me like Cinderella, and they fit perfectly. And so he gave them to me. Unbelievable. Wow. And then the owner of the Archduke Joseph was a beautiful Cuban jeweler, Al Molina. And we had had lunch, and he had promised me the diamond. And then he said, you know, Nicole Kidman's team called, and they wanted to use the diamond and I, because she was up for the Oscar for Moulin Rouge. The sparkling diamond. So she wanted to wear it. And he goes, and I said that I had promised it to Lara Elena Herring. And he kept his word and let me use it. Is it She's not Latin. Forget it. Yeah, it was like the Latin bond <laughs> the Latin got me bond, there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I just love people who are honorable. And, word. Yeah, you know, it's nice. But diamonds on the soles of your feet, as Paul Simon <laughs> once sang. Uh, like, I can't imagine wearing... Between the toes. Between the toes. Is that strange? $500,000 a foot. Huh. 
when you're like, go to the bathroom, sorry to ask, but like you're looking, and like, oh my God, I'm wearing these million dollar shoes. Isn't that amazing? I got very lucky. I've been very lucky my whole life, I think. That was the first and last time I ever went to the Oscars. Mm -hmm. And I went with a splash. I was the most yeah. photographed woman that year. <laughs> amazing. Just because of these, of these diamonds. I think life is a play. Is Life is a game. And these kind of little gifts that I've gotten from the universe have made life so much fun. So I'm very, very just grateful and honored that I even was in a movie like Mulholland Drive. So that's pretty crazy because this diamond, I was looking up about this diamond, it's even more carats than she thought it was. It's 78 carats. And then in uh, 2012, it sold for $22 million. Wow. But she didn't get to keep it, right? That was just a loan. No, I, I don't know. <laughs> but she did say that the shoes were, she was given a, a copy, a worthless copy of them, but they look like the originals. So she likes having those as a memento of that night. Right. And again, what is real? What is a dream? What is fake? What is a notification on your phone? <laughs> Who knows? Well... Here we are at the end of another amazing journey. <laughs> no, but that was really cool. I mean, again, that movie made a huge impression on me, and it held up when I watched it. Their performance is more than anything, just mysterious. You just want to know more. And to have her come and reveal all these little secrets and be so charming and so playful and so fun to be around, it, it was a very special episode for me. Me too, especially when you think about Mulholland Drive, because at any point, anybody's experience in Hollywood can be either of the lead characters in Mulholland Drive. It can be going great. It could be going horribly. Yeah. You could think it's going horribly, but it's actually going as good as it's going to get. You could be or brunette. You could be blonde. Or you could be platinum blonde, like Chip. Right. I don't know. It's just a it's just a very interesting movie because it, it is one of those ones that's doesn't tell you what to think, doesn't tell you how to interpret it. And if you never get around to moving to LA and devoting your life to the insanity that is show business, it's a great cautionary tale and um, a little dip of the toe. Right. Without, without having to commit. Yes, a dip of a million dollar toe. <laughs> so Definitely check it out. And you can see it on iTunes. That's where I watched it recently. And there's DVDs, Blu-rays. So if you've never seen... There's a Criterion collection of it. Oh, it just came... Is... is that recent? Well, Someone a couple told... years ago, I think. Well, there you go. Check out the Criterion version. But definitely see it. And if you haven't seen it in a while, check it out again. And until next time, we'll see you on in... Mulholland Drive. <laughs> hey.